Hello and welcome to the Gossip Stone podcast, where we talk about the Ocarina of Time randomizer, focusing primarily on the racing and the competitive scenes, but also talking about a range of other related topics for the OTR community as a whole. Introducing your host today, firstly, I am Yoshikian. And I'm Riley, and today we're also introduced by a special guest for today's episode, Alzen. Hello, thanks for having me on, guys. And yeah, as mentioned as well, today's episode is going to be about the multi-world tourney, uh, what happened behind the scenes, throughout, obviously how it all started, and all those little tidbits that can be nice to know. And we're going to briefly recap all the tourney and notable moments of the tournament as well. And, of course, the weeklies, as usual, will be talking about the previous weeklies from this last weekend. Before we get on to that, I'll just give a quick shout-out here to Shadowfix for handling the editing on this episode and doing a whole ton of behind-the-scenes work for us. Alright, so, as usual, let's jump right into the random recaps. And this first one, the Any Weekly... Uh... <laughs> yeah, you might, you, might, you might be happy talking about this, huh? Uh, nah, wouldn't make you say that. Um, so yeah, the story of this any weekly was that there's a, a, a specific item on a specific check that a lot of people don't like called the chickens, where uh, apparently more than half the field skipped chickens where it had the required mirror shield, which is one of the worst code mode items. And so you could get easily baited by everything really early and not do it because it's chickens and people like it. But other than that, the seeds give you really, like, if you did three song, you got early boomerang, you got a strength. So your writing was kind of weird. Uh, your way the heroes were Graveyard, River, GTG, Deathmount Crater, and Fire. And they're all reasonable stuff. Graveyard gave you letter, River gave you magic, GTG had hammer, DMC had, I think it was Nocturne, and then Fire had your hovers. But yeah. Otherwise, like you, like if you just did like a normal-ish route, you could like almost had to do all side dungeons. You could have skipped the bottom of the well, but the game gave you storms and ZL in your three song, so it's kind of hard to avoid. It had your first logical bomb bag inside as well, so it was not the like it, the game was gearing you towards there. And then you had to do GTG because obviously it was way the hero. Uh, Requiem was also an ice cavern, hard locking by Key Logic Spirit. And then by that point, you you just got everything in the way that to just do your dungeons. Um, you had even you you had like both hookshots in fairly decent locations as well. You only needed one of them. And then lighter ints and deeper fire. Most people just got the lighter ints, so it's not the worst. And the first place was actually me in two fifty thirteen, which was a pretty good time compared to the rest of the field of the seed. It's also like your fourth weekly win in three weeks, right? Yeah. Or something like it's, that? Uh, I want to say it's four, four in a month. Four four. yeah. Or something like that, where, yeah, I never won one before, but I've, I've already <laughs> bragged on about that, uh, so we can probably just move on to the EU Weekly, which, yeah. The, the EU Weekly was uh, not that different for the most part. A terrible check in Kakariko that basically locked away everything. Uh, this time it was a hook shot. Hookshot on 20 skulls. So Baron Hints and the Seed were really, really strong. You got both Death Mountain Trail and Lake Hylia, which are quite nice ones to see, like awkward to do or just a lot to do. Uh, the long shot was available in Spirit Temple during the adult climb, so kind of got locked out of that pretty early. You had to get that 20 skull hook. The 
biggest turning point in this one, honestly, is Fire Arrow's Way of the Hero, and quite a few people got tripped up by that. Because Bins showed up in the Spirit Temple map chest, and so some people just ailed on Spirit then and there and went to Shadow. And actually it was that there was a key in the other Firelocked check-in Spirit, and uh, the Mirror Shield was just further in Spirit, and that was most people's go mode item. Uh, definitely a much faster seed, fewer side dungeons, a lot less in terms of that. It was mostly about picking up those 20 skulls. And first place in that one was Melrose with a 218.53. Uh, despite losing five minutes to having to get a bird out of his house, apparently. <laughs> As you do, you know, normal normal time losses in a, in a random in seed. A, in a race, yeah. Yeah. Whoops. Pretty almost lackluster as weekly this week, so fairly short. So let's move on right to the main topic right away, shall we? So yeah, this main topic this week is obviously the multi-world tourney, as previously said. And yeah, we have Alzen here to talk about this. And why don't you just kick us off, uh, Alzen, and say how this did this like idea initially start? Um, I mean, so. I think it was, God, almost a year ago at this point, there was uh, uh, planned a giant multi-world um, for April 20th for some reason. Uh, and it, for some other reason, was targeted to have 69 people. And so there was a like big vetting process to make sure that people would go through and had checks. And so as some of these, we had these like verified multi-worlds where we would play with people who had verified it. And we got kind of bored with it at one point. And so we started doing kind of impromptu races against each other. Where we pair off in groups of three. I don't know why I said pair off there, but you know. Uh, and we would go in and we'd sort of do these races and see who got the best times in them. And people had a lot of fun with them. And so we started kind of thinking very seriously about hey, is this a thing that we could actually do in a tournament? Uh, and I wrote up sort of a, I was bored one day and wrote up a little bit of a proposal. Uh, that was just like, hey, like, what's the general idea on this? Like, how can we do this? What sort of rule sets do we need? How do we do restreaming? Uh, all sorts of things like that. Um, and that kind of was the first thing that started. I think I sent that out to Hamza at one point and got some comments from him, and it kind of went forward from there. Right. So, yeah, because the initial tournament signups were, what was that, like June? last year something like that yeah um and yeah at the time i think it was kind of it caught a lot of people off guard because it was how on earth are you going to restream multi-worlds how do you how do you race a multi-world format but you know if, if we're talking this was like a good month or two of figuring out here are the options for restreaming here's what could go wrong with each one Kind of goes to show just how much preparation goes into these like tournaments and stuff, and how much had to be figured out with it. Yeah, no, we we definitely sort of played around and we talked with Trez and stuff for uh, and sort of floated some options with him because I think ideally we would have had a format where literally everybody would have been on restream just because I think that's a better thing to show. But at the same time, trying to follow six runners uh, at once is a difficult visually for the audience to be able to follow but also b it's just difficult to find the computing hardware to be able to do that from the restreamers angle the tracking volunteers to be able to make sure they're tracking 
all of that going on. Uh, and so we did kind of end up in the format that we did. Um, I'm, I'm sort of looking at the document now and we had a couple of different formats. One was, hey, let's just follow one player per team. Obviously, we ended up sort of doing let's follow two players per team, though we did have occasional elements of dynamism when one player would finish where we might swap someone in. And it was all, yeah, it was also made to the, to the point where you had to try to get a player from each group. So you'd have a player one, player two on one side, and then the other side would have a player three, and then either a player one or a player two to make sure that everything was at least covered. Obviously, it was very difficult to follow, even for the audience, but it was it, it, it's what 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 worked best in the end yeah i'm i'm really happy with how it ended up working out um and i i there there are things that i would change about the tournament in retrospect but that's definitely not one of them but i think the restreaming layout ended up being right what sort of things do you think you would change <laughs> i i mean the 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 obvious knock that just about anybody with a brain will suggest is that the tournament dragged on way too long. Um, and I think we were very, very hesitant. I, I mean, this tournament ended up being bigger and more successful than I think we expected at all. Um, I think overall we had, what, 80-something teams in it? Um, let me actually pull this up. I think uh, it was 39 teams at over 100-something people. Yeah, so, so 39 teams uh, with which would make it about 120 people. Uh, I would have guessed we would have had somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to maybe 15 teams. Uh, but this ended up being a much more popular and exciting idea than uh, we expected, which is awesome. And like, I thought it was genuinely great to see how many people joined, but it also meant that uh, the worry of trying to schedule six people at the same time, we were really, really hesitant to put in hard limits on time and when things would have to happen. Um, and I'm not even sure that I would, I, I couldn't tell you what the exact correct solution is. Maybe it would be have hard limits on when you need to have scheduled by based on when you learned about your next opponent, or maybe it was maybe like hard time limits actually would have been correct. Uh, but it, I mean, the tournament definitely did drag on too long, um, which is unfortunate because I think if we had been able to keep it going, in a consistent and constantly moving forward format, you could have gotten a lot more hype for things like the very later round matches where eventually they just started feeling like, okay, well, these are finally happened. We just want this to be over, um, which is not what you want for the hypest matches of your tournament. Yeah, there was definitely a thing towards the end of the tournament. Um, it felt like a lot of people, both player and spectator side, were really really excited if they had a personal stake in the match and if you didn't it was just kind of like oh who is this team again yeah no there, there definitely was um that so i i mean i i think that's kind of the big glaring thing that i would want to take a look at and sort of get a better idea of how do we do this as a better way and make it a little bit more constrained and a little bit more reason reasonable um and i mean to be fair, some of it is because we had some unavoidable or surprising delays. Like, it's hard to deal with the fact that one of the players on one of the best teams sliced his hand open and physically couldn't grip a controller. Um, and sometimes things go wrong. Uh, but it still dragged to uh, a much, much longer point than it needed to. Mm -hmm. So, 
moving away from the kind of like setup side of things, or I guess a different part of the setup, the settings used in the tournament were slightly different to what people are used to in the weeklies. Uh, there's kind of two big things to look at here. One was um, the checks involved, the scrubs and the shops. And the other big thing here is the hints. And I guess kind of attached to the hints is the fact that there were basically no tricks included in the logic. Was there anything within that that you think didn't work out? Um, how well do you think that all played into things? <laughs> um, I think maybe in retrospect, adding a couple of the tricks might not have been a bad idea. Although I do think at the time when we announced it, there hadn't been tricks added to the official standard um, or the, the like standard weekly set either. I don't think that we had brought in all of that stuff yet. Um, and it's just a testament to <laughs> how long it ran that uh, none of us could actually remember when that went in versus when the tournament started. Mm -hmm. I, uh, yeah, like, I think with those as well, the other thing with the tricks is the stronger hints kind of played into that because, yeah, you got so many more hints, but that kind of ties into the multi-world. You're going to be doing a lot more generally, and also it's good to have some bait in there that you need to kind of work around, like figuring out the logic. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and I've had this conversation before. I would be personally really, really interested in a mode of the randomizer where somehow arbitrary logical requirements are added to things that aren't actually relevant. So for instance, if entering the water temple required the hammer, logically. Uh, I'm not saying this should be a standard for it, but I would be very, very interesting to, interested to see how things in metas evolved based on an understanding of changing logical rule sets. And so one of the things you do get out of not having tricks is you get things like Kokiri swords being required for dead hand, as uh, might have happened in a particularly notorious async, uh, where we had a, uh, I'll, I'll even just like, no one's going to play it at this point, I'll just rip the bait off. Uh, there was a Way of the Hero Kokiri sword in Ganon's castle for a strength three on dead hand so that you could get the mirror shield that I think ended up being the go mode of two of the three teams that uh, finished the seed. Mm-hmm. If that was your guys' go mode too, right? <laughs> that uh, that async was beautiful because it also it, had the way of the hero bottle. It <laughs> had the way of the hero bottle, and and, and, and and even on top of that, it ended up in a position I think where in that same bottom of the well, where you're still mirror shield for go mode, uh, there was a mirror shield looking ice trap in the coffin at the yeah. same time. That just absolutely broke us. Yeah, and it was for the player that needed the mirror shield too, which I think was player three. Like it was the yeah, ice trap and was. the perfect item for the perfect player. Yup, it was. It was like actually bro like. There was also a scale in the Ganon's castle just in case you hadn't done lab dive with iron boots. Like, oh, that was awful. I hated it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, stuff like that happened because of no tricks. There's like people take like for the standard settings of tricks and logic, people take for granted a lot of stuff that you had to really think about, like especially song, song of time logic, like little things like that that you don't normally think about that could give an edge to teams that 
were made like acknowledged it as a as a thing. Yeah, and I and I think those were slight and I'm not sure what the right balance is. I think going back, I would probably not make Kokiri sort of required for Dead Hand. Uh, I would probably just enable Man on Roof and Logic at the start. Like those are things that I don't think really add anything. Although I'm a little more loath on the Dead Hand one just because it gave us that one spectacular example. Uh, but I think in general, it's difficult to... I mean, we, we didn't not have tricks on because we wanted to do this stuff. It was more along the lines of that was kind of these standard race settings. And I think there's a incredibly real skill to being able to read logic and understand and translate things clearly, especially in a settings where it's maybe not as much as what you're used to. So like so you see Song of Storms and maybe you don't go straight to bottom of the well because all of a sudden Zora's River just had three checks opens up and compare that to standard. And that's very, very different than when Song of Storms locks three things total outside of bottom of the well. Um, and I think that kind of diversity ends up being really interesting and shows I don't find the execution aspects of this is a little bit of a jump but but I I promise I'll get back to the subject. I don't find the execution aspects of randomizer all that interesting. Um for me I, I and I've said this before I think seeds stop being interesting once you hit go mode. And so I think things that are a little more logically complex and a little bit harder to piece together are a skill that I think should be rewarded in an ideal system. And I don't think it is quite as much in the standard race settings now where it feels like execution matters too much. And that's not to say that execution shouldn't matter. It should. But the logic puzzle aspects of the games are what brought me to randomizers in the first place like i'm sure we'll get back to this a bit more later but one of the things that was made very clear throughout the tournament was the players that adapted the most to the settings and the players that could communicate the logic clearly were that those were the teams that got the most out of this you know i think so just for like a personal anecdote on this one i remember our very first race in the tournament um, we were maybe 50-something minutes in, and one of our players was like, I'm going to go to Ice Cavern. And at the time, we were like, Ice Cavern's not a very good play in general. You're missing Iron Boots, so you're stranding a thing there, and like, there's all these reasons not to go. And he's like, yeah, but I'm missing Song of Storms. That was it. Song of Storms was like 20-something checks. Yeah, so Song of Storms is almost twice as valuable in these settings as they are in standard race settings, and Song of Storms is a very good song in standard race settings. Right, and yeah, sure enough, went to Ice Cavern, it was Song of Storms, and that was one of the biggest turning points in that match. So yeah, like that, seeing that change and that kind of adaptation based on not just the obvious, oh, I need to go and pick up these scrubs, I need to go and check all my shops, but also the implications of that on other locations was really interesting to see as and see develop in teams as the tournament went on. Yeah, and I, I and I mean I, I I like scrubs and shops both because they do that, but they also expand the check pool. And one of the things you do worry about with multi worlds is like, okay, well, what if one person is just sitting there twiddling their thumbs for forty five minutes? And so you want to expand the check pool. You want it to be a wider game. 
so that people have the ability to continue to do things without sitting around which at the same time means that if you have a wider game you have to be careful not to make the matches like way way too long hence very strong hints which help shorten that curve a lot by saying oh here are the five barren areas you have in the seed plus three barren dungeons or things like that that really can help you lop off some of the time off of the top of the race and the scrubs and shops are early as well, so it's not even like... Yeah, if it's just yeah. more checks, but then more checks that you don't get until the mid-game, then it doesn't matter, because you're still doing nothing once you've played your early game. But this is a lot of early game, and everyone ended up with, like, five items by the time they were done with, like, Sphere Zero. Basically. I also think shops are fun. Like, like I think it's fun to walk into a shop and be like, let's check these four items right here. As uh, long as you and... start with the money, I agree. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I also like making wallets logically relevant for things that aren't just a freaking tunic. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think... I think it's cool to have wallets matter. And they don't matter in normal settings, and sometimes we get the rare seed where you have a Way of the Hero wallet so you can buy that Zora tunic and you can read that play well and go, man, I'm going to go straight to the central pillar chest and water temple and, oh, look, there's my boss key because I'm a super genius. I, I mean, that can happen. Uh, at the same time, I, like, like, it feels like such a niche case that it ends up being... A thing that you're annoyed by more than you're delighted by. It was actually kind of funny. I remember one particular seed. I can't remember if it was an async or a race or what, but someone got away of the hero wallet and we were like, oh, that's amazing. And they were like, no, it's tunic. I've checked all my shops and nothing is double wallet locked. It's my Zora tunic. And the fact that that was the exception, but also even then we were like, oh, okay. So you want to kind of push central pillar a little more. It's you know, central pillar and your key lock checks are relevant in water, go do some of those. Yeah, no, was, absolutely. It was like, that was the exception. And the fact that the wallets were still relevant, but there was still this kind of hint of, but tunics also might be, is a nice twist on things, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially because all the shop items are scoutable, obviously. Whereas central pillar, not so much scoutable. Uh, or doing stuff in Fire Temple, not so much scoutable. Um, and I also, I, I mean, it, it. I think it played really well, and I like, like it's one of those like things that by the end of it, I I still enjoyed the settings when I was done with them. And uh, that's not always the case when uh, I'm playing other things, and even when I'm playing other things that aren't standard settings, I will often find that the flaws in the creeks start creaking very, very loudly once I've played them enough. And I never got there with Shops and Scrubs. Yeah, they're, they're at a point where they're not, like, over-excessive or unmanageable, that they're not, like, oh, I have to go do this and do this with some of the settings, where those are just, like, okay, it's there, it adds a good number of checks so that people don't sit forever. I like think it says a lot about both the multi-world format as a whole and the settings used in particular, that even in the grand finals, there were plays that came out and a bunch of us were like, wait a second, this is like a huge innovation. We've not seen this for the entire tournament. And the fact that that was still happening in the grand finals 
even with a tournament that we're saying went on way longer than it could have, like, or it probably should have, it's, that innovation was constantly still coming in. It was a really interesting metagame that was constantly just built on and built on and built on. I'll say the, the, the file copying was a pretty neat trick to keep in your hat. I definitely have to agree. Yeah, uh, that was, inc for anyone who missed that one, the finals of the multi-world tournament, uh, was it Sponge who copied a file? Um, Sponge and Nala both did right. quite often in that seat. Um, yeah, copied a file to go and clear a smallish area, but in doing so, you send all the items to other people. It doesn't matter if you then go back to your first file and effectively reset all of that away. Because there's less, there's actually less odds it's your item in a three-person multi-world, which is this what was. And so like that kind of play makes a lot of sense it's statistically less likely to be yours so you can do an area and just either like if it's your own okay like cool you move on but if it's not your own you can just like go to your other file like you made so it can it can be pretty pretty solid yeah and i, and I, I mean it's an extension of the very very first thing that you notice as a oh this is a cool thing i can do that i can't do in a 1v1 race which is just how powerful safes coming is in those sorts of things because you can Use all your bomb shoes to do checks and hard reset and not lose any of the items if none of them were for you. Right, like, we had races all the way through the tournament where you'd see a relevant item in a shop and you're like, oh, but it's like, it's all my rupees and I know I have to go and buy my Deku shield after this and, oh, wait a second. <laughs> Save, buy the item, reset, go buy my Deku shield. Great. Like, I've still got the money and I've sent you your strength. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely, and I, and I, it was super refreshing to see, like you said, like new techniques to continue to develop all the way through the tournament, mm. like, including also... down to the grand finals. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that was what kind of spawned, what I think I would describe as the opening route for the tournament. Um, I personally hated it, but I know I'm in the minority on that one. Um, the Lost with Scrub. There was like the first big kind of innovation on in the multi world tournament was well, you're starting off with a whole bunch of money, check your shop, then go into the Lost Woods, check the scrub by the bridge, check your hint there, and then just reset back and have all your money again. And that was kind of the first big, like, opening innovation that wouldn't be possible outside of this because you don't start with max rupees. And I mean, I, I know it also did things like empower, oh, I'm in a rush Deku tree if I happen to luck out and my Deku shield is just sitting in my first shop there because I don't have to worry about farming money. I have all of the money I need to do this entire dungeon straight from the start and get two hints, which end up being very, very valuable in these settings. Uh, you get a bunch of Sphere Zero checks out of the way, you potentially get a medallion, you potentially even get a forest medallion, um, and similarly using the scrubs for the same thing works as well. Saying about the hints as well, that's one of the things, because just as um, the, like, as this tournament was starting up, was around the same sort of time that in Standard, people were becoming less and less keen on the Gerudo Valley to Lake Hylia opening, and so when this tournament started, quite a few people were kind of avoiding that area. And then it's like, oh, no, wait, hints are really good. 
and you can just go and grab four hints right there and everyone was doing it there's no reason not to in these settings no gerudo like how it was such a good opener yeah because like in these settings because we were playing on very strong hints you could get a hint that's uh Oh, GTG's Baron, but you only get one copy of a Baron hint, so you save like ten minutes, like just going around and doing hint stones, which was like hundred percent worth it every single scene because you get that one Baron that matters a lot more than getting anything else. I remember it was quite funny. It's one of those things that you see never see in a weekly race, you never see in the standard settings. But the first race um, our team had in the tournament against uh, Sexy Gomez, me and Nukes both had. Baron Deku Tree hint at the back of Lake Kylia, and we both got it before going anywhere near Deku Tree. And, like, for one person to get it, maybe, for both was like, but of course, our Deku Shield was in the market, so we hadn't gone into Deku Tree at the start, and you go and check the lake hints because they're that damn good. So, there were a lot of things that kind of came up that you just wouldn't see otherwise, is like, Oh, go mode Deku Tree later on, so I'll wait until I've got Din's Fire. Stuff like that. Doesn't happen in outside of settings like this. It's really interesting to see that these settings both encouraged a lot of innovation and kind of showcased a lot of things that you wouldn't see outside of this. Yeah, definitely. And I also, one of the things I liked about Very Strong Hints is it felt to me like hints never felt bad. And in standard settings, hints definitely feel bad sometimes. And one of the things that I think from a game, I mean, I'm not claiming to be like I'm designing Ocarina of Time randomizer or anything, but one of the things that I think should be lauded in game design is minimizing times when players feel bad for things they do. Like, maybe you lose time, maybe you make a suboptimal play, but we've all been there where we get that way of the hero for a tunic and we rush unfreezing King Zora and it ends up being nothing and we get and, and I mean those things can still happen there but I feel like because the value of hints in general was so much more elevated than they would be in like standard settings you get enough that you're almost always going to feel very very good about the hints that you were given in general and feel like they chopped a substantial amount of time off of your seed Whereas I couldn't guarantee you in standard settings now, if I completely ignored hints, whether I would be better off or worse off. And in the co-op tourney right now, for instance, I guarantee, I don't guarantee you, but there is a very coherent argument to be made that literally checking no hints might actually be a net time save. And... The purpose of I mean, if you have hints, the purpose of them should be to make your run faster and better on the whole. Otherwise, why even have them? I guess the flip side to that is the one thing the one thing that did come up that bothered me with very strong hints is that and this isn't a problem with the settings, this is a problem with the hints. Some of the hints that you could get in very strong are trash. Like, what is the point in having a hint for the first bomb tube bombing prize? <laughs> um, so to be fair, that was un kind of an unfortunate interaction. That was, there were people who were worried about, like, oh, the minigames in this are hard, 
and so they put them in as sometimes hints, but it kind of got dragged in by turning on very hot, uh, strong. That being said, there was at least a little bit of comedic value to hints like that. Like, oh boy, the first bomb chew bowling is a Deku shield. Thank you so much. Uh, but yes, you are right that some of the, uh, and, and particularly the minigame hints, I think in general, were the ones that tended to be trash more than anything else. And I think minigame hints, even in the tournament settings, tend, or uh, the like standard race settings, tend to be trash too. And I wish that a lot of those things didn't get hinted at, and some of those were pulled out of the pool because I think they hurt the game significantly more than they helped the game. So, moving on to the one other big thing I want to say with the metagame stuff, and this is something I know, Riley, you were saying, we spoke about the opening that our team used at one point the other day, which was generally, um, we did Open Grotto to Al to get into the market for days to check the shops. The thing that, one of the things that you saw with a lot of teams that came up early was every runner on a team would do the same opening because that way you had such a low chance of hurting your teammates by sending them items at the wrong moments. Yeah, with because most of these openings, like except like the Deku Rush maybe, are kind of tight for time of day to get to the market in time. So you can like check your daytime shops and stuff. Like Open Grounded Owl is kind of precise. Even like if you get like bombs, you do all of Hyrule Field, Valley, Lake. Like if you don't get like a precise good like a good movement for that you can easily get moded and with multi-world uh you get sent a lot of items sometimes and that's why i feel like being consistent in your openers with every single one of your teammates doing the same thing is usually better off because oh you have that one teammate getting a deku shield in his uh, kakiri shop and he'll go to deku but he gets a million items for other teammates that's trying to walk high field getting a correct time of day which avoided like made them moat kind of often which happened to us pretty often so we had to switch our openings very consistently like it was kind of different at various points and th at the end we kind of realized like okay we should probably just stick to all of the same thing so this uh doesn't happen i think there's definitely something to be said for that although i do think a lot of those issues were defrayed by just having better team communication like there there were certain things that we made sure we communicated about when they were happening like i knew every time that uh in our opening if we were doing the like highlier like highly garuda valley opener i knew when goomba and hamsda were both going for the scrubs and like hylia because i wanted to be very very careful to not lock them in place so the owl just dragged them straight up to castletown right garuda valley chicken was the other big one that kept coming up for us it's like okay i'm picking up a chicken warn me before you send anything so I know to mash text boxes as soon as I land. Um, and it wasn't like a stop doing anything. It was more like a warn me if you do so I can get out of the way. Yeah, definitely. And, and I, I think there's a degree where you can lose time being like, okay, guys, I'm fighting Twinrova. Everybody freeze in place versus, hey, guys, like, like be a little more considerate about the items that you're checking. Like, if you're in Fire Temple, maybe the thing you're getting is more likely than not going to be a key, so it's okay to be a little bit more risky here. I mean, like, anything you're doing, it should be a case of risk-reward, and you should be evaluating what is my potential reward for doing this, what is my potential risk, and does this justify it? Um, and I, I think those are things people should take into account, and I think it's good that a lot of the teams that were successful in this tournament are the teams that really did take those sorts of things to, into account. 
Right. I know the, the big ones is doing broken stick setup for uh, Goma, where it happened basically every really early, and you get you're still getting a bunch of items. There was sometimes there's that one. There's always that one person that's doing Deku in there, part of the three song opener. And okay, guys, I'm doing broken stick here. Like, can you not send anything? This can like. It's at a point where if you lose your broken stick, you lose a lot of time on that fight. So there's like, okay, I'm doing this Dompe race while you're doing that. You're good. Like, you're always like communicating things like that is always, always came up almost every seed. So Sora Domain Torch Run every time. Like, if, if you're getting flame storage and you get down the stairs and someone, like, you're jumping down the stairs and someone sends you an item, it's like, oh. Well, there goes the entirety Hunter of that. I particularly that. enjoyed trying to snipe me during that check because <laughs> I would get that in Dompe races were the two that you could just like literally tilt me off the face of the earth by messing me up on. I had one uh, that I think was like the best thing that has ever happened to Hamsda, where I was doing a Dompe race and right as he got through the door and the timer started counting down, Hamsda sent me like three ice traps back to back to back. And I'm just sitting there frozen as the timer is ticking down, literally just losing my mind. And in like tournament races and stuff, we'd actually be careful about stuff like that. But in some of the like asyncs or some of the lower stake stuff like that turned into a, I mean, ideally in this tournament, you were competing with your teammates to defeat the other team. And in reality, uh, a lot of times you were competing against your teammates to see which which of you or your opponent gets screwed less by your teammates intentionally messing with you. Which, was, I mean, it was fun. And, and like, it, a lot of times grinding and practicing things like this can be kind of a lonely experience and can get kind of old and can get kind of stale. And so having that social interaction, having the inside jokes, having things like that develop, like, made practicing... Like, it made practicing for this tournament so much and more enjoyable than just about any other sort of single-player practice thing that I've had. Right. I'm not going to pretend, like, in the first async we did, I didn't go and buy somebody an ice trap during their Ganon fight. It's just, it's what you do. you got to do it at least once. <laughs> I think I killed someone because they asked if, like, they were near dead and they asked if any of us had heart pieces we could get. And I said, yeah, one second, sent them an ice trap. <laughs> It, it brings me back to when I was literally at a quarter of a heart finding Bongo Bongo and somebody sends me an ice trap and I die. Oh, God. And that's just like... Uh, uh, like it's so it's frustrating, but at the same time, it's kind of funny. I will say as well, the other thing going on this, though, that social interaction was a huge part for a lot of teams. Like, I, I will say this now. If you took any of the people on our team, like me, Alex, and Decker, if you took us three individually, we're like solidly, you know, a bit above average, maybe. Each of us. As a team, we overperformed because the communication was just everything to us. We all had our... F I, I kind of mockingly described it as we all had our role because Alex would go and find all the items, I would go and do all the progression, and Decker would, like, shit-talk everyone. And just insult everyone and keep us lighthearted. But genuinely speaking, when we were tilting, Decker was the person who knew when to make jokes and when to be serious and how to analyse all of that. Alex was the person who kept track of, have you done this thing? Have you followed these hints? Have you picked up on these things that you had to do yet? And I was the person who was like, 
they would be like, okay, what's the best play at this point? Should I be pushing progression or hints? I was the person who analysed that. Everyone had their role, and we all kind of communicated that very clearly. And I think different teams found those dynamics in different ways. Definitely. I mean, we, we, we made bingo cards for our team. <laughs> like, let's see if I still have the link. Uh, we had stuff on our bingo cards like we would always like one of us would always like i don't know why at some point during this tournament both homs to goom and i like all three of homs to goom and i at one point forgot to turn in the diving game after talking to the person and so it just kind of started talking turning to a meme that anytime anyone was doing the diving game all we would talk about was dear god please go talk to the zora which we later renamed percy because of a different check in uh um minish cap that is similarly easy to forget um but it happened all the time or like anytime anyone was doing fire temple we'd whine that you can't shortcut clip in fire temple because fire temple is terrible and i hate it uh, or we would call uh juke fan club jerk fried chicken anytime that it was mentioned like these are all things and i'm sure if you talk to anyone especially like any team that went at this hard and practiced and played with their team a decent amount, you would find that every single team has shit like that that they can bring up and say, hey, this was just really a funny thing for us to mention. And so it kept us lighthearted and it kept us in a good mood as we were playing, even though sometimes these seeds are difficult to do. Right. Our team being like the anime was a mistake and memeing about that the whole time. Anytime somebody picks up an item that they should have had way earlier, it was just like top 10 anime betrayals instantly. We wanted to, for when we were eliminated in the tournament, we wanted to get the screenshot of like Alex outside that shop and just like crop it all into like the YouTube frame and everything. And just, yeah, every team had those jokes, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for us, it was me and Sponge were the sons of Namaha or he is our dad where that was constantly brought up and we like we had like so much fun just talking about like having fun with that that we just kind of just use it all the time now like it's not even a joke like fun fun things like that definitely came up and made it a lot more fun to just have like have fun with the with the game so yeah i mean like more than anything else the thing i ended up being happy about with this tournament is it feels like just about everybody who played, especially just about everyone who played seriously, enjoyed it. And ultimately, like, there's a competition here, but these are games, ultimately. And they should be fun to a degree. And so if you come out of this and have, like, overwhelmingly people saying, hey, I think this is really, really fun. We've accomplished at least part of what we've set out for at that point. Like... Again, I I joked about it at the time, with like the anime storylines and stuff, but genuinely one of the biggest things that came out of this tournament was firstly me, Alex, and Decker got like way more talkative and like all kind of figured out those teamwork things. But also, this tournament is the reason I started talking to like Riley and Sponge. Like I didn't really know them before this tournament, and when it started, we kind of vaguely knew each other and like stopped in every now and then. But then it was like everyone was writing off both of our teams straight away because at the time we were a whole bunch of unknown players pretty much i mean honestly like part of this is a bunch of us improved a ton because of this tournament
Like, like this gave me a competitive drive that I maybe wouldn't have when you have one yearly tournament that 32 people make when you have a community where you're getting 200 plus people trying to qualify. And so you need to end up in the top 10, like, and, and I mean, there have been gaps that have come in like things like challenge cup and similar that give you similar things, but it was really the first tournament that I think gave people who weren't in that top 32, a reason to say, Hey, you know what? Like we can do this, we can get better. We're going to improve. And then we can, immediately follow it by i mean you've seen people who have become very very real very very top runners i mean Riley, i'm sure you can uh, <laughs> comment more on that oh. than i can is that me <laughs> like, yeah basically like for us at the start of the tournament like namaha was already like a pretty solid player so me and sponge were very mediocre to average players so we and we're both very competitive so him being better than us kind of like okay, we kind of need to step up our game. Otherwise, this will be less as fun for all of us. So if we're all, like, almost level-headed, like, the same amount, the same level of skill, like, it's, the game is just a ton more fun for us. And we grinded and grinded and grinded until we got really, really good at this game, all three of us. And now I I can positively say that all three of us are great players individually as well, so. Right, you went from your first month in the tournament. I mean, we looked back at this recently, and we found a race... We were talking about a while back where Riley was like, oh, my first sub four. And that was like a year ago. And over the space of that, like the multi-world tournament, just the first half of the multi-world tournament, you went from that point to being all of you are top 32. Like the multi-world tournament both encouraged that kind of teamwork as a team, but it also got so many individual improvements. I cannot tell you how many strat videos I linked in our multi-world like team chat. It is, it was relentless at times. We would sit down for hours on end at points and be like, oh, I want to learn this and this and this and this. And people would just go find all the videos and bring them back and then teach each other how to do it. And, and all of us improved because everyone was learning stuff. <laughs> That's how I started learning ground jumps because my team couldn't believe I didn't know how to ground jump. <laughs> that started this tournament so like random things like that that just like okay like i'm not doing this just for myself as well like you want to not disappoint your teammates so does that that's just all rolled in really really well together and made it like it's a fantastic experience overall yeah and i mean the the three of us are going to be biased because i think this is what like that should be first third and fourth place between the three of us uh and so like obviously we're gonna have had longer runs than maybe the average person but i mean there's also part of the reason that we had longer runs is that we did do a lot of this work and did put in a lot of effort to get better and there are people like that we played against like oh wow these are really good people and we beat them relatively handily because or in some cases, not particularly handily, but still managed to beat them. And when maybe you should have lost a match based on how it went because of some of this work that you put in. So I think one thing we do want to kind of do, we did this with season three as well. We'll do this with this. We've all got our own moments individually, but there are definitely some big moments in the tournament as a whole that we have to address. Um, and, I mean, where better to start than with the very first match of the tournament? <laughs> <laughs> it kicked off us as, like, the best and the worst at the same time because it was the most one of the most lopsided matches with 
three of the biggest names in, the, in this tournament versus three players that I don't think have ever played this game ever before this tournament started. When, so when they jumped right in, like, basically never played a seed. I think they said they never, like, almost nothing. Yeah, there was and, at least one player on the team who didn't realize you could get hints from the Gossip Stones. I remember that much. Um, but then... Even then, it just made for such a funny match in so many ways because yeah, everyone was watching it. It was the first match. It was like the showcase kicking off the tournament. It was ATZ, Marco, and Banuru. It's like three of the top players. And then I, ATZ, I, I, we have to... This spawned a meme. This spawned like an entire meme that people are still referencing now where ATZ did the bomb two strat into Dongo's cavern. And started climbing a ladder and soft locked. <laughs> had to reset. When, when ATZ learns that the game cannot walk and chew bubblegum at the same time. But, and then walks in and does it again immediately. <laughs> yeah, because like, I think at first he thought he just like crashed or like. Yeah. But um, no. Oh my god. So, well, yeah, I mean, wa watching that was unreal. <laughs> Like, the first run, okay, sure, like, maybe someone didn't know, although I'm always surprised to find out that there are things that, like, if ATZ doesn't know about Rando, I'm surprised. But then immediately going back and doing the same thing right afterward was just, like, the cherry on top of the Sunday there. And then I started doing the uh, stupid esports don't make it so obvious meme. Where you try to allege that like one of the competitors is clearing being paid by his opponents or something like that. And I think I did that after the first crash. And so while it's going in Twitch chat, ATG walks in, lights up the bomb to eyes again, and immediately crashes the game a second time. And it just broke me. It was just so funny as well, because like so many people knew about this and it was kind of that thing of like generally speaking, like you say, ATZ, you know. It's always been one of the best players in the community. So it's like, if ATZ doesn't know something, it's pretty big. If ATZ doesn't know something that, like, half the community knows and understands fully, and he's just there, like, not getting why it's happened, everyone's just kind of taken back for a second, like, wait, really? Like, him? <laughs> it's not even multi-world specific, too. Like, if you have a Baron Dodongo's Cavern, that's how you do it. Oh, and yeah. yet... Yeah. Twice. Not once. Like, <laughs> once we made fun of him, but twice. <laughs> oh. Um, Don't make it so obvious next time, ATZ. So, one of the other matches that stood out to me going through, uh, this one I don't think actually had a restream, because there was another restream match that was scheduled at the same time, and the restream both started and finished in the time it took this race to finish. Um, so it was Dubious Food, um, versus Lactose Intolerance. The three worlds that they had were Triple AD, every single one of them had to do all dungeons, and two of them got Ganon's Castle was Way of the Hero hints. And I like, I think it was one of them had to go in to get an item so that another one could go and finish their final dungeon, so they could go into their Ganon's Castle to get the first person's light arrows. And so one person gets to Ganon's castle, having basically cleared their entire world, and then has to just sit there for like 20 minutes waiting for someone to go and beat Shadow Temple. For context, 
Uh, this was Dubious Food's first match of the tournament. It was in round two of the top bracket, uh, and they had random to do a buy. Uh, the winning average time was a five hour and nineteen <laughs> minute time. <laughs> yeah, that's... and like these weren't, you know, these weren't teams that got to like the very top, but they were by no stretch like new players. All of these players were people who knew what they were doing. They well, you know, solidly average to above average by tournament standards. And yet, yeah, just... <sighs> Is that the highest winning time that we... I No. There was another one where Free and Go 2020 uh, won with a 5-hour and 22-minute average. Jeez, uh, but their opponents been. forfeit. And I think that was probably a little bit of a lower tier team. Right. Um, um, talking but of... Like, that's just an insane time to win with. Yeah. Talking of Free Ingo, I mean, some of the tournament moments definitely did involve our teams. Uh, your match against Free Ingo. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone learned something new during these tournaments. Everyone discovered some new stuff. Um, so... For context in that match, there was, I want to say it was the, like, hover boots or something, was on the sunblock chest in I think it was the hover boots. It was boomerang, I'm pretty sure. Oh, right. Is it, is it? Okay. Um, and Killer App walked in, spawned the chest, and just forgot to open it and left. And was sat, like, waiting in Jabu, doing nothing, like, waiting for his go mode item, which was never coming. Um... The flip side to this was Hamza did the Colossus Fairy, the safe scumming uh, explosives, I think. Went over, did the Colossus Fairy, held up a bundle of arrows and reset. And uh, it turned... Item delay. <laughs> right. So, yeah, Hamza got the item delay there, and the arrows were just sent by someone else, and it was actually his own hammer on the Colossus Fairy. <laughs> It was player two's hammer, if I remember. It was Goomba's hammer. Oh, was yeah. it? I thought okay. I thought it was his own. Okay, because yeah, it got to the end where everyone's like, "I've full cleared. I've done everything." And we're just like, we're like upset, like God, like we've done everything, and now we just need like freaking Goomba's hammer. And I think Goomba was in the position where he ended up being the last person to finish his clearing. So Hubs is standing around, like literally just like shield sliding around Hyrule Field because he has nothing to do. Uh, I'm standing in Gerudo Valley because I have nothing to do. And then Gooba gets his last check. He's like, guys, this isn't my hammer. <laughs> and that's when you curse a little bit inside and start worrying about what's happening. And if so, I remember rightly, Hamster went through his VOD to see what he had and hadn't done as well and confirmed that oh, he'd say, done everything. So, so, right? so, so we all had some different strategies. I literally reset my tracker. I went to every single dungeon and checked all of the maps in there first so I could clear off all the dungeons. And then I just started going to spots where you can get checks and made sure... I, I went to a barren bottom of the well and cleared that just in case. Uh, Homsido spent some time going through his VOD, and I think it wasn't even in his VOD, but he just noticed he was... I think he was going through to check GTG, and he's backwalking, and he noticed that the wall wasn't open. Which, obviously, if he scummed it, that would make sense. But it kind of seemed weird to him, like, uh-huh, that item never, like, came through. That's weird. 
like a just in case let's go check and so he went to check it and pulls the hammer there um and there was a very real chance that neither of the teams finished that seed because uh, <laughs> i don't think killer app was ever finding those that boomerang Right. Uh, although, it's... admittedly, it was easier for him than for us because he could have just walked into John dungeons and checked maps. Right. Which, by the way, if you've ever think that you've skipped a check, easiest way to go in is to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, which did happen again in a later match, actually, where different situation. I'm sure we'll get to that one in a bit. Uh, we're going. We're going order through the tournament. Um, but for now, uh, Trifles Antiheroes. Definitely got to call that out a bit. Um, they had some incredibly close matches. Um, so I I think it's fair to say they're a team that somewhat overperformed in the tournament. Um, Doc was a known great player, but was like a little bit rusty at that point, um, especially towards the kind of latter half of the tournament. Aero and Cloud, kind of a bit below that. They had some incredibly close matches against some incredibly good teams that came down to less than a minute. And, you know, it was at the point where I think at one point Aero got knocked down during a Ganondorf fight and everyone's like, has that just cost the race? Like, just that. Because all the other three members on the other team finished and they were waiting on... Oh, arrows. Okay, like I, I remember, like this one was an on race stream against our, our random noob gamers, Campus mm -hmm. of Destiny, or aren't you for sure? Where they're talking like, we, oh, they, all three of them are done, and then the two others are done, and just that one player left climbing is like, okay, I got this, and then I'm like, he, like he, he was like in his mind, he was like totally confident, but then you could see the nerves hit him so hard, and it was like. Oh my god, he's gonna throw. He's gonna throw. Like he fell like two, multiple times off of Ganondorf. Like, but like they still managed to win that one. And then a few rounds later, <laughs> happened again where they, but instead of winning this time, they lost by an average of seven seconds. And oh, so yeah, the the, the RNG one they won by th an average of thirty eight seconds. And then they played us. And I have never seen a scene more, like, pathologically determined to destroy our team. Because I'm sitting there, I think, at four medallions. I'm, like, two or three items from go mode. I think, I think I'm think i Runo's Letter, Din's Fire, and Nocturne of Shadow for go mode. With Nocturne of Shadow in Ice Cavern. And Doc finishes. And we just have this, oh my god, what the hell just happened in this scene moment? And it turned out the entire seed ends up swinging on my own Rudo's letter on my own kid Dompe. With, as I've said, I don't have Nocturne. Uh, I believe Sunsong is also locked behind it. And my first time through... Oh, and, and um, I haven't done Bottom of the Well or anything like that. Uh, but there's a hookshot in Deep Fire Temple for in Player 3's Deep Fire Temple for Player 1. And Hamza has a decent execution advantage over Cloud. And so it's a very lean seed for player one early in the seed. And then once you get your first hookshot, it explodes and there's a ton of stuff. So Doc finished all of his checks before getting sent that hookshot. I did not. I was like about to go do this Dompe check in bottom of the well. 
and I get my hook shot, and now I have so many more appetizing things to do. Which is unfortunate, because we find my long shot directly afterwards. So basically the entire game, except the Zora area, or the Zora Fountain area, and the Shadow Temple area is now available to me. And I do all of it before going back to Kid Dompe. And by the time I go back to Kid Dompe, I still do not have Nocturne of Shadow or Sunsong, which makes Kid Dompe an absolute nightmare to route in, which Doc had done this stuff because he had run out of stuff to do, and so he literally just, like, full cleared his game at that point for the stuff he could do before he got sent a hookshot. Uh, and this stupid hookshot in Deep Fire almost ends up costing us the entire match because not only was my Rudo's letter there, my Rudo's letter locked someone else's light arrows and also I think locked Goom player two silver gauntlets so literally nobody on our team could finish before I got that letter and to make it even worse my stupid dense fire is just sitting in my own well yeah and to top it all off like this was even crazier at the end when all three of you are finished and again well well no no hold, hold, so 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 hold on hold on hold on let, <laughs> okay, me, let me let me let me control okay. this one this narrative a little bit just because first off there was a very real discussion between Hobbs and I before how we wanted to score what winning in this tournament would be like, because I think the more obvious way of doing it would just be whichever team finishes their stuff first. So when you have three Ganon kills, it's done. Uh, we ended up going with best average time. And I think that was absolutely like in retrospect, it was absolutely the right choice. Because there's nothing quite as crazy as being done and watching the seconds count down, hoping that your opponents don't figure out where they need to go or like, like finish because doc finishes at like, I want to say it's like the two eighteen mark or something. And then finally Hamza comes in at like, actually, hold on. I can look at this. What's the average? Uh, we averaged a three twenty eight. So Hamza comes in. I want to say like the three twenty or three twenty two mark and finishes and Gooba finishes like, a minute later and i'm in like 10 minutes after that so they're sitting there like okay cool we're running up time then all of a sudden finish 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 but there's a huge gap in time between my time and doc's time and i think this ends up being probably the hypest match in the tournament at least of the ones that were on restream because of this because the clock is counting down and we're watching them go through and go through and we like like we legitimately have no idea whether we're going to win or not because we know that letter has been terrible for us, but we also feel like hey we have a reasonable execution advantage and we're probably dead and we're probably going to lose this, but at that point we're done. So we sort of check the restream. We're sort of doing the mental math. We're like oh god, we literally just don't know. Like they could beat us with good execution, but they could also lose to us if they don't execute particularly well. And I think the point Riley was about to get to is they're getting to the point where the only one left to finish. And at first we actually didn't look at the restream because we just didn't want to know, like, this is going to be really, really nervous to watch through. We'll just like, let it go. And then cloud finishes for their team. And so now instead of getting double time back, we're getting single time back. And it's only arrow running of all the teams. And he's going in, and, and we're going in, and like he hits the Ganon fight, and it's still in a position where a clean Ganon fight and a clean Ganon, and their team probably wins. But the unthinkable happens, and Arrow Razor gets a 
random power outage. Oh, out no, 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 no. So, so that Arrow Razor like starts the Ganon fight, and he misses the one cycle. And so at this point, it's probably in a position where he will not beat us, and his power goes out. Like, because I was on comps with this one, we were like, what the, what's going like, on? His stream like, just dies, it's like, oh my god, like, we're in this, like, down to the second match, and he just drops. Pretty sure he didn't have any local recording either, well, I guess it didn't matter, because his whole thing went out, but. Yeah, like, his his whole thing went out, like, local recording would have mattered at that point, because uh, he, he wasn't still playing. Yeah. And so now we're in this incredibly awkward spot where you have Hums and I are the tournament administrators who should be making this decision, but we also have very, very real stakes in this match. Uh, and so we're trying to simultaneously be like, crap, like we want to be fair about this. We want to do the right thing, but it's like, it's legitimately hard to tell. Am I being unbiased? Am I doing the right thing here? Like how to make sure, especially knowing Arrow has just lost some very real time by failing the one cycle on Ganon. Like, like, how do we invoke the FPA on this to make sure this is as fair as possible? And complicating matters, Doc has done the math wrong. Doc thinks they have about 10 minutes of leeway here before they actually start losing. I don't know, like, like what happened that caused the math to be off. But he's like, you know what? If Arrow finishes in the next, like, 15 minutes, we win this match. But in reality, Arrow has about three minutes to finish for them to win. And so when we're talking about this, say, like, okay, like, like, how do we do this? And so one option that we offer is, do we want to replay this race at this point? Like, this is so close. We don't want to have this be determined by something stupid. Only Doc thinks they're, like, comically far ahead and can't lose. And so they turn this down. And then it's like, okay, well, how do we do this? Um, and I think what we ended up doing is we looked at the clock on when Ganon dropped. Or, or sort, of, sort of like, basically, when the power went out, and we decided the fairest way to do it, and I'm still not sure if we made the absolute correct decision, and ultimately I don't think it would have mattered because of the, the fight ended up being not particularly clean. But we ended up deciding, you know what? your time when your power went out or is going to be the time that we start and you will start your time basically when Ganon drops and all the tiles fall like that. It will be your time to actually start the timer because we were trying to, cause, cause at that point, like if you were to one cycle Ganon, that's maybe a half a second to a second of difference on what it actually would have been. Uh, he does not one cycle again and loses another cycle worth of time in here. But like, there's so much awkward going on at the time because not only do we have this insanely close match, we have this insanely close match where the last runner's power cuts out at the worst possible time. It was just like, I honestly don't think my blood pressure has ever been higher than it was during this match. Because I wanted to keep playing. Like, I was having a blast in this tournament. I didn't want to stop. And <laughs> it ends up coming down to 21 seconds of net time, or a 7-second average time, 
when Era finishes. And like, I think it's not really until about phase two of Ganon that we're really comfortable in saying that we're going to win. And in a three and a half hour long average time match, that's insane that it came down to that little time. And just like as the team sitting there in the box of watching like the people behind us finish, it was crazy for us to just sit there and kind of sweat it out. It just like that experience solidified to me like, you know what? Average time is absolutely the right way to go with this because a it incentivizes being fast about your Ganon kills. Like if you if you're going to do worst time, the only thing that you do is until people are like, like you basically want to make sure that you're all going to finish about the same time. And so if you're in go mode really fast, it doesn't matter. You just want to keep checking stuff and keep finding progression for people because you want to make sure that your long, your slowest person is the person going. The other thing about best or like finish time versus average time is that finish time disproportionately punishes the worst member of a team. And it puts people in position where you will find teams getting incredibly frustrated with their worst member who probably already feels bad enough about being their worst member. Certainly as someone who was the worst member of my team, I can comment on that not feeling great. Um, so I, I like, I think we ultimately made the correct choice, but even if like, I wasn't sure that match would have poured concrete over that decision because that was the hypest thing I have ever that like maybe the hypest ending I have ever seen in any rando. Uh, yeah. And just like an insane match. And so, after that one, we ended up with another, another match that was kind of hit with some power issues, uh, amongst literally everything else that could possibly happen to screw over a match. Yeah, um, this this is the match I think that the most went wrong before we could actually play. And when I say we, it's because it involved me and Yoshi it's here. Literally our teams, yeah. Um, the cursed match sixty nine. Yeah. <laughs> it, on the challenge page, this was listed as match 69, and our team was actually like, when we'd got to that match, we were like, it doesn't matter how we do in the tournament now. We oh, guys, match. we made match 69. <laughs> we, played, we played both 42 and 69, so like. I kind of <laughs> hate you. <laughs> you lucky motherfucker. Um, but then this match, just anything that could go wrong did go wrong. So, firstly, at the time where we're playing this, we're waiting on a ton of other matches. Season 3 qualifiers are happening. So we're talking back and forth and we're like, alright, we'll try and split qualifiers and the match so that we can all get all our qualifiers done and then do the match later into the tournament. And everyone's already done their quals by that point and it doesn't matter. We can go back to multi-world practice and then have the match and it's all good. And then Namaha cut his hand at work or something. He, well, chopping onions, I'm pretty sure. Okay. I, was, I think he was chopping onions and he did, mistook his wrist for an onion. He just went bam straight through and the hand lopped off. Gone. Ah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, uh... <laughs> I am so... actually really proud of the fact that at some point uh, over the course of this, that people actually started thinking Namaha was dead. Like, it's kind of horrible, <laughs> but it's kind of hilarious that this joke just like veered so far off track that people actually started believing it. People thought Namaha was very seriously injured at times. Yeah. Like, yeah, Namaha just, like, chopped off his hand. I had DMs like, his sent to me on this girl, like, is he okay? <laughs> like... Uh, yeah, no, oh. he, um... So, at that point, that was, like, right at the start of qualifiers. Like, I think he'd done one of the Season 3 qualifiers. He had done point. around 3, I think. Right. 
So, so right smacked in the middle of December. Right. I want to say. So he then cannot hold a controller. So we're like, okay, this match is getting pushed back no matter what. And then obviously by the time he's okay to do it, he's got like, there are literally like five or six qualifiers left and he has to play pretty much all of them. Um, so at that point we're you know pushing into the kind of, okay, qualifiers are finished and now we have time to do this. So we schedule a match and we finally get a time down for it that we can all do. And I've got, at that point, I've got computer issues. I had to replace my computer partway through the tournament because it just, for some reason, I would try playing rando and it would just lag to holy hell. So I borrowed my housemate's computer and my housemate's computer was fine for most of the tournament. And then for some reason, towards the point where this match was happening, if I had OBS streaming at the same time or OBS running at the same time, the frame rate would just drop and drop and drop until the point where I'm like trying to play at like seven FPS and like just crawling through Dodongo's cavern. Uh, so I came up with this, you know, I had this novel solution where streaming through Discord worked fine. So I was streaming through Discord on my housemate's computer. And then I had a second Discord account watching it on my computer that would then stream it through OBS. And that worked. It wasn't good, but it worked. And so we finally get that figured out and we get up and running. And then Sponge's setup breaks. Oh, that... We've, like, on the day of the match, we get yeah, start to the get The restream has started. Like, <laughs> I can't play. I'm... I My FPS is not consistent. I, I'm gonna lag. Like, I can't... This is not... Like, I can't do this. Like, <laughs> like the restream so we took, was like, running for, like, a good hour while everyone's trying to figure this out and we're just like yeah take all the time you want we want this match to happen but also we need this match to happen <laughs> like, we've already yep. pushed it so late sponge's setup is not exactly the best to begin with for the multiple no. matches his setup is uh, he has to play on one laptop and then stream <laughs> from the other because otherwise he, he like it, it doesn't run like so he has to have an like a setup where he, he runs cables through both of his laptops so he can stream his gameplay from one laptop to the other <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous but it, it works except when it didn't at this point where <laughs> he was just like like he couldn't understand like it never like th this kind of stuff never happened i'm pretty sure and he said he tried it the next day and it ran fine and he had no idea what caused this problem yeah and Curse. so we had to delay this match for like we already had delayed it for like over two months. Like it was almost two months at that point where we had the, the match was play. like four rounds ahead of the tournament when it started getting delayed, and it was holding up the tournament. And it held the up the entire freaking tournament. Yeah, and eventually we had to run it as an async separately from each other because we can find a, per a reasonable time. Yeah, right. And even then, both teams last location for go mode item. It was literally. The the, probably the worst multi-world seed we had played until that point. Like, yeah. it was atrocious. <laughs> On our side, it was the, um, there was just, like, a breakdown in communication or something, um, and one player didn't have a slingshot, and someone else wasn't picking up a slingshot that they'd seen, or, like, a couple of slingshots that they saw here and there. Um, and, yeah, Target in the Woods was the go mode item, so... <laughs> so I was, I was in BK mode for, like, two and a half hours, it also, by the way, when we actually played it, we had like three FPA calls during that race because my 
computer just decided to kick everyone out of the multi-world room like twice and then alex's computer crashed <laughs> like was that the one that got so bad that it was taking place when i was at work and i literally just like i'm working from home and just like came home to get yes. on voice chat with people um my finishing time like the average time in the tournament in the race for us was like four hours 45 but my actual finishing time like in real time was over six hours because it included like an hour of fpa calls so yeah because you guys were already starting pretty late for y your standards so you had to like you guys stayed up till like way too late and like and you were all tired and stuff as well oh my god it was yeah that match was absolutely cursed in so many ways when it had finally finished i didn't even care that we'd lost i was just like it's done we can move forward yeah and then oh. other shizzling happened, mishaps happened, but we won't talk about those. Oh god! Like it's um, it's, it's the it's the image the Frodo the it's over Sam it's finally <laughs> over. Um. And then yeah, moving forwards in the tournament, I mean, you went on to winners finals from there, which was another one of those beautiful matches that just kind of culminated. Like everything that we've spoken about so far in our noteworthy moments kind of happened in this race where it would have been one of the closest matches ever if not for two big things which is one the curtain call of the accessible rule set really coming into play in winners finals It'll where be fire for season four mark my words <laughs> fire arrow entry was huge in that seed it was a shadow way of the hero in a stone shadow it's like the perfect situation for it and Bono hadn't done it in a long time and wasn't confident on it, so he didn't, and Sponge did, and that was a huge boost right there. Like, without it, I think it would have been a really close match. I still think you guys had the edge, but with it, it was just... Oh, it wouldn't have been a really close match without it. Okay, not on its own, yeah. <laughs> not on its own. Because then, ATZ, who, you know, started off the tournament soft-locking twice... <laughs> the... Poor ATZ is taken a beating in this episode <laughs> it's easy to do we've all been there but he misread a hint it was zora fountain foolish and he read it as zora's domain and so uh, the best part of this was that like during the race someone's listening to like the one stream that has their call going and there's a section where marco goes i think there's something on my king zora and atc's like oh wow that's wild <laughs> And the whole time, ATZ's own hover boots are sat on King Zora. And instead, he goes, like, trudging around Hyrule Field in iron boots because he's bored. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wild. He's like, oh, wow, that's crazy. Imagine that. <laughs> um, and yeah, so the whole time, between the hover boots on King Zora and the fire entry, it's just like, yeah, Richard the Dog go soaring ahead and uh send duke fan club down into losers where we forget a shop let's say uh, we'll, we'll skip over that one we'll, we'll wow that's crazy yeah who does that who uh <laughs> who ignores shops right i want it on the record we are the only team in the top four that didn't lose because of something dumb we did actually to be fair they didn't lose <laughs> They J Juke fan club lost because of something dumb they did. Oh, no, no, I'm saying Richard the Dog didn't lose. Just straight up didn't lose. 
Uh, okay, fair, 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 fair. <laughs> of the teams two through four. <laughs> yeah. By the way, we still need to have the first and fourth versus second and third six v six grudge match. Like that oh, needs oh, to happen. Oh. I feel like that's so one sided. We we finished way above our. <laughs> you guys get Juke Fan Club. Okay. On the one hand, we should have beaten Duke Fan Club. Straight up, I will say that now. We, we arguably should have too. I finished 30 minutes before Bono did. Um, I think it was Alex and... Oh, no, it was... Was it Decker and Marco finished around the same time? And then Alex is just, yeah, looking for the mm -hmm. mirror shield in nowhere. And Alex is just sitting in Spirit Temple. <sighs> Alright, someone's gonna send me my mirror shield. It'll happen any moment now. And then I think one of you you even mentioned that, have you? are you sure you checked all your shops? And he's like, yep, yep. He considered going back to check them just in case, and he was like, no, 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 it'll be fine. Um, yeah, no, we should have won that match, but, you know, it happened. At the same time, and Alex felt really bad about it, because, like... In practice, he was the most efficient player. He was the one who forgot the least kind of going through and was, like, the trustworthy, like, the safe player. But, um, yeah, on the flip side, like, we didn't expect to get top, like, eight, let alone top three. Like, we thought we were underrated in the tournament, but not by that much. Oh, so um, I think sixth was about the bar that we would have been happy with at lowest. And so we're, we're, we're okay at fourth. We're, we're a little salty how we got knocked out, but we're okay at fourth. The seed where you got knocked out, I'm just going to throw this one out there, was the only sub three average in the whole tournament, somehow. And it was a sub 240 average. I, that seed played to our strengths so perfectly, just in every way possible. That, that scene was just like the epitome of rando gonna rando. Everything that could possibly go right for you guys went right. Everything that could possibly go wrong for us went wrong. We like, went into that match. It was just one of those like, up, oh, not our day. <laughs> we went into that match discussing like, what do we need to do in order to win this? Like, not just what's our best option, like how do we play consistently? Should we play safe like that? But like what do each of our players have against like their mirrored world? Like, what are we meant to be doing? And straight up, one of my biggest points was, I need to push my way of the heroes aggressively. And lo and fucking behold, pushing my way of the heroes aggressively was the absolute play. Like, it just worked wonders in that seed. And I mean, I can be salty about the fact that we lost and like how we lost, but like, honestly, kudos to you for doing a thing that I think the random community is very, very bad at in general, where you sort of look at how do I win this match? Because in a 1v1, or in this case a 3v3, it's not about how do I get my best average time, it's about how do I finish one second faster than my opponent? Mm -hmm. And I think, it's, I think most people when they're racing will basically do the same thing, is they will just go in and say... How do I get my best average time? Or how do I make myself most likely to finish high up in a race if we're looking at a weekly for people who are like, I'm going to rush Kakariko and check chickens at the three minute mark. <laughs> um, and sometimes this gets rewarded, but like, that's not how a 1v1 works. And it's so rare. And, and I'm kind of happy for you guys because we tried to do something similar against uh, Jerk Fried Chicken. 
earlier in when when we got knocked out of the winner's bracket by them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think in retrospect, we kind of underestimated the effect that playing on emulator instead of real hardware would have on them because I do think it cut the execution advantage they had over us by a pretty substantial amount. Right. Um, but so we went in, we said, we are ignoring Skulltulas in this scene. Like, right, we're yeah, just but... not going to check Skulltulas. We're going to try to get those, like, five or six minutes back that you would do doing those checks and just say, these are the least efficient checks in the game. We are not going to do them. Mm-hmm. And it was almost so perfect. <laughs> it was almost perfect we were one item off of a perfect route that was sitting on my 20 skulls and locked all of our players from being able or that, that locked everybody but me from being able to finish so like i actually beat marco in my world one it's great because i can go to my team and be like yeah guys thanks so much for uh weighing me down as the one person who beat my opponent uh, and I'm pretty sure they want to punch me in the face every time I make that joke. But <laughs> oh, I know the thing. I, I beat Bono by 30 minutes. Like, come on. <laughs> come on, yeah, guys. Nice. I beat Marco. Like, it could have been so hard to beat ATZ and Bono. God. Um, yeah, and it, it 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 sort of ended up where we said, hey, we're going to skip skulls. Like, we're, we're, we don't need to win a ton. Like, we need to get a good route, and we need to get a little bit lucky. But we also probably need to claw some time back from how we would normally play. And that's what we decided on. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't get skulls until I had finished and sort of went through and basically last location, 20 skulls, which were Hams does hover boots, which locked our other two players from finishing. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think in that scene, ATZ just like ran by the scrubs in the DMC grotto. Uh, Oh, because again, differences between scrubs and shop, or playing with scrubs and playing without scrubs in standard settings. And so I think he like pushed off someone's Rudo's letter for, I think it was Marco's Rudo's letter, which is why I did end up beating Marco. But um, I think that's like, and, and, and even though it was wrong in that particular seed, I still think that sort of thinking elevated our chances of winning mm-hmm. over what our chances of winning would have been in a straight up normally routed seed. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. And so, that's like, it. I mean, kudos and credit to you guys for actually doing that. Because it wasn't that you just said, Herder, always clear your way of the heroes. Her, her, her. Uh, it was much more about how do we win? What do we need to do? What sort of weaknesses do my opponents have? Like, and Hamza is a very heavy logic based player, which means that he will make sure that he clears away the heroes, but he cares a lot about efficiency and he cares a lot about full clearing. And so you can cut times on him if you can do these sorts of cuts and not get punished for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and as it turns out, strengths. you can gain a lot of time when the seed breaks as badly as it possibly can for like, your opposition and about as well as it can for you. Right. We knew that our biggest thing was that we tended to be very confident kind of dipping into areas a bit earlier than a lot of people would. I, I have pushed GTG a lot earlier than some. Alex has, like, Alex built a reputation for rushing Ice Cavern in this tournament. In, like, three separate races, Alex was in Ice Cavern within an hour. Um, and we kind of knew that we were playing to our strengths and also our best chance of winning. Um, which just didn't quite pay off in the losers' finals, unfortunately. Because, yeah, Alex... 
Alex that week, I said I've mentioned it before, but he played something like nine or ten like weekly settings races that week and didn't practice multi-world, which that was on me. I was like tilted hard. I did not want to look at Rando for like that week. And so I said, like, if you guys want to practice, go ahead. I'm not going to. And they were just like, all right, yeah, no, we won't bother them. We'll do it with all three of us or that's it. And so, yeah, Alex, kind of start of the race is like, I hope I don't forget shops and scrubs. It's been a while since I've done them. And then checks the Kakariko Bazaar, but not the potion shop. It's because he's uh, used to buying a Hylian shield. I guess, yeah. But yeah, these are the and dangers then, of buying shields, everybody. And then, I'm just uh, kidding! Please buy shields. It actually helps you. Don't be stupid. And then going into grand finals as well, um, I remember kind of making a joke on uh, commentary, but I remember. I can't remember what it was that happened in the Grand Finals specifically now, but ATZ obviously uh, didn't check King Zora in the Winners' Finals match. And then there was a, tour a Season 3 race that week where Marco just forgot to check the Crater Fairy. And so I was like, it's Bono's turn this time. <laughs> like, Bono has to last location something now. Yeah. Uh, as it was, I think, honestly. That last match... I think it's. I don't think it should be a controversial statement, but I think it will be. I think the best team won. I agree. I I think we, like privately in our team when we were talking about, we felt that Richard was the best team for about three solid months. Like we we thought it, and it was an assessment that we grew more confident in over time, not less confident in. Like, I, th I think you look at Marco and you look at ADZ and you look at Bono and you say, holy moly, that's a titan of a team. And it was. But then you start looking at things like, well, they're used to playing Unreal Hardware and there's emulator stuff and they don't, for better or for worse, they don't really practice these things very much. And so there are little subtleties that you will lose and you will miss that can help you out. And it was like, I, I thought it was very, very likely that Richard was going to win. Um, certainly in that final, I I think we had a, I still think we had a, I think obviously both of our teams, Yoshi, like would have had a reasonable shot against them if we played, and I think they would have been favored. Um, and I think they'd be favored against anyone, but I do think they were the best team in the tournament by the end of it. I don't think they were maybe the best team when the tournament started, but certainly by the end of it. By the time they had their, I think it was round four match versus Rumbling Gorons. By the time that one was lined up, it was like, no, they're gonna like they're the favorites at this point. Yeah, and I, I know a lot of people really favored Rumbling Gorons going into the tournament. But mm. yeah, I, I think by that point, I thought Richard was a better team than Rumbling Gorons. Congrats, um, Riley. <laughs> Riley's just sitting here like kicking up his feet. Oh yeah. Give me that <laughs> ego. <sighs> Um, Riley, this is supposed to be safe for work, please. Okay, now I'm just worried that Riley is dead. I was, I was going to say, we can cut this out afterwards. Riley, are you still there? Oh, <laughs> my mic was fucking muted. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> when are we doing podcast outtakes? When is this oh. happening? <laughs> How much have you been talking during all of this I literally show? just made like a Riley sitting there masturbating instead of like actually <laughs> responding joke oh, and Riley just no. doesn't even respond. I'm like, uh-oh, now yeah, it's I was awkward. Just, I was, I, I didn't talk too, too much, but. Okay. <laughs>
but yeah, like we played really incredible that tournament, and we like we ended up winning because we just practiced a ton and got better. So yeah, I feel like we were also the best team, and that's what we were thinking. And speaking of that, like, any plans for the future for another tournament we can win? Uh, there are probably plans for the future for for another tournament. Uh, <laughs> Don't know about you winning it, yeah. Uh, yeah, that 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 one's no, no. Um, I mean, so I think it's really, really unlikely that we're going to see another tournament until at least when Multiworld 2.0 comes out. Because uh, one of the worries going in was the people have to use BizHawk, people like have to set up their port forwarding and deal with all the hosting complexities. Uh, mm. And it felt like people were able to do that and handle it, but I, I think we would like that to be gone and have it be stable and have fewer BizHawk crashes and things like that before we look to launch it again. But I think on the whole, people really enjoyed the tournament. We're really happy with it. And so I think it would be foolish to think that we wouldn't at least look at running it back again at some point. Yeah, sounds good. I mean, like, you mentioned it earlier, and I guess touching it again here. The reception at the start of this tournament was phenomenal. The fact that you go It was so cool. It blew me away. Like, it was so cool. Expecting, like... You know, maybe around 50 players total, so like, you know, 15-ish teams, and it ended up as over 100 players, like near enough 120, is incredible. And players players from all areas of the rando community as well, it was people who just do multi-worlds, or just play kind of casually on their own, or competitive players, and up-and-coming racers, it was just people from all kinds of parts of the community came in and yeah it's brilliant showcase of all that yeah and i'm like i'm i I, i'm i love looking at different tournament formats compared to sort of what we normally see or like not just being like oh we must do 1v1 in pools into bracket into blah 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 um and so i'm super happy that we ended up in a position where we got to see kind of a unique format and a unique style and i would and and i'm also really happy that a lot more of them have kind of come out after multi-world tournament and i don't know if it's because people saw hey this multi-world tournament actually did a thing and people were able to get people joining but like there's a spoiler tournament there's the co-op tournament now there's um works on like a random settings tournament like all these sorts of things that maybe you don't see there is challenge cup which let people who weren't in the top 32 get a little bit more in the way of competitive experience like i think it's great i'm i'm so happy to see it happen even if you might argue right now there's maybe a few too many tournaments going on but it's i would rather have that than have nothing going on whatsoever Mm -hmm. um and so i'm i'm thrilled with the reception that this tournament got on the whole flaws and all yeah i'm glad it happened it was a really fun experience and i'll definitely be trying to step up for the next one place or two higher yeah we can't let riley win again his ego is getting a little out of control a little bit yeah i would agree Alright, and that should do it for this week's podcast. Uh, thank you again to Alison for joining us for this one. Uh, it was a great, lengthy episode, longer than normal, and I had a great time discussing all this multi-world stuff that went on. Um, don't forget to follow us on Twitch, so twitch.tv slash Yoshikion, Riley2w69t, and Alzen IRL. 
Yeah, and if anyone here is from Twitch, please find the person who stole Allison and take his account away so I can have it. Thank you. And I've been Riley. And Yoshi. And we will see you all next time on the Gossip Stone podcast. <laughs>